Max McCurley is a Toronto-based artist focused on costume design and illustration. Through video and performance, Max has created a group of characters that he calls clowns in cyberspace. If you're not yet familiar with Max's work, I recommend watching Tiptoe of the Patchwork Perot and visiting Max McCurley underscore art on Instagram. Welcome to the Root Cellar. Max, thank you for taking a few minutes of your time today to talk to me about your work. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'd like to start off by asking you how you would describe your work. I would describe my work as kitschy, cute, and embracing the the soft, sweet sentiments of life. Well, that's an interesting description. I, I like that. To put it most simply, I guess. Yeah. I definitely see that in both your illustration and your costume design, as, as well as in Clowns in Cyberspace. Did you start with illustration or with costume design first? Illustration. I Throughout my undergrad degree, I was... The, the funny story I have about, I guess, um, art school is like everyone... We had a guest speaker one time in our undergrad saying that everyone's going to come into art school as a painter, thinking that they're going to be a painter and then they're going to leave as a performance artist and at the time I was like yeah right I'm a painter till I die so I was really focused on illustration and watercolor painting and then sure enough I transitioned to performance art eventually so the prophecy the prophecy is true what what do you think caused that transition for you or what motivated that transition starting out uh, painting, and in my case, illustration, is a really good way to, um, is a really good preliminary way to explore concepts and themes and um, like a visual language. And then as you mature in your practice and evolve, I think that the compulsion to perform in some way is natural to kind of elevate something. And for me, I think it was always a natural progression. I really, really valued like storytelling through art and the development of lore through art. Um, so performance and kind of embodying things in a physical way is kind of just a natural progression for me. So the the costumes came after the illustration as, as sort of an intermediate step into performance? Yes, yes. Why clowns? You know, that's, I think, is the question I get asked most often is why clowns? And if I'm being completely honest, I've just always had a lifelong love for clowns. Even when I was little, I just always really loved clowns. I felt that they were a, a, a character that embodied a certain type of escapism that I always loved. And I think that they're just the nature of them. They're rich for storytelling opportunities and emotional expression. So I've always been really drawn to clowns. Um, and I think that through 
through the lens of clowns. You can become very experimental with silhouettes, fashion choices, and and things that you want to do because you can use the excuses. Just a clown. It's meant to be. It's meant to be that way. When you had uh, experiences with clowns as a as a child, did you see clowns at parties or in performances, or or was it through other medium? No, it's, it was never in person. I don't think I've ever seen like. I don't think I've ever been to a birthday party where there was a birthday clown or anything. It was mostly through television. Um, And I think because growing up, I was never the strongest reader. So I was never into doing a lot of reading, but I was into consuming visual media as my way of, of, I guess, educational enrichment. And some of the, my favorite shows just featured clowns. So one, one primary one that always comes to my mind is a show. I don't know if it aired everywhere in the world, but I know it was at least pretty big in Canada. It was called The Toy Castle. And it was a show that was kind of, it was kind of simulated a stage production each time. And they always had all these elaborate clown costumes and sets that really, really wowed me when I was little. Did you have that in mind when you started working with clowns yourself? Kind of. I think it was the the seeds were in the back of my mind while I was creating them. And then, you know, sometimes you revisit, you revisit things that you loved when you were little. And then you remember how, how, oh, maybe this did really, really influence me a lot. But yeah, I would say it's, it's sometimes in the back of my mind. It's interesting what you said earlier about exploring feelings through clowns, because as I'm thinking about the images that you have on your Instagram, which are fantastic. Thank you. Your clowns have, their facial expression is locked. And often, Mm -hmm. I think we think about expressing feelings as primarily something we do through our face. But that's sort of locked for these characters. So I'm curious, how how does the expression of feelings with your clown characters work for you? I think the, the main way I convey expression in costume would be through gesture and posing the faces are fixed and while i'm sculpting them each each character kind of uh is meant to embody a certain feeling or a certain theme in my life and when i'm sculpting the faces i I want to kind of draw that one emotion or that one theme out and and kind of have it in the face and it's, it's sometimes tricky because as, as I'm sculpting, obviously I want that emotion to come through the face, but you don't want the mo- emotion to be so over-exaggerated that it, the, the face can't be expressing anything else. Mm-hmm. So they often all end up looking, having quite neutral expressions um, to begin with. When Before all the paint goes on, they, they sometimes almost all look the same after I'm finished sculpting them. And then the paint adds like another layer of subtle expression. And then I think primarily through gesture motion, that's when the expression of the face can change, even though it's fixed. Um, I think we, we can, we can view that expression differently depending on how the character is moving. Do you start with the creation of a character from a particular feeling? Yeah, sort of. I, I say that the genesis of each, each character I want to create, it starts with writing actually not writing any type of like coherent narrative structure, but kind of compiling words that I think that are uh, sound nice together one, but also are evocative of certain feelings and have a strong sense of like storytelling and that I just find interesting and inspiring. And then from that, 
uh, I think of it as kind of like a word sculpture almost because it doesn't ever end up having to make sense or anything. It's just like a compilation of words that I, I find um, important at the time. And then from that, I would move to sketching, sketching out a character, um, working through different design elements that I, I want to execute. And then finally, I would start the actual making process after that which usually starts with the mask, I find most helpful to start with, just to equate yourself with the character um, right off the bat while sculpting its face. And then since the, the actual clothing is the part that takes the longest, I do that last. Does the character's nature change through that costume making process? Or do you uh, feel what, pretty- What do you mean by that? Well, do you feel pretty firm about who the character is or what the character embodies when you start the process of making the costume or does it continue to morph throughout that process? It can morph. I'd say that the costume that I feel like, I guess I've, I've used the most often, it's the um, kind of patchwork pastel jester costume that I've named pastiche. That one was meant to serve as like the, the main, the main costume for my, the body of work that I did in my master's degree. And it started out kind of more generic and more less. I was less into the character because it was more of just like a blank character that I could do anything with. But then as I was making it and as I was choosing, I was going to find the fabric and actually constructing the character. And it became more closely related to myself. It kind of took on a very specific um, aesthetic and I guess emotional aura to it that was kind of you know, shy and demure and curious looking. So Pastiche is the star of the film Tiptoe of the Patchwork Perot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that film. I'm, I'm curious about it. I've really enjoyed watching it. Oh, thank you. It was um, quite the feat to execute for me. That was the first video project I had ever done. And I was lucky enough to get the help from a lot of my friends who who uh, some of them I went to high school, well, all of them I went to high school with, but some of them, the guy who filmed it, his name was Bobby Markov, and we've known each other since we were nine. And then I also had the help of, you know, Sarah Gervais and Caitlin Gunnis. They, the three of them helped me on that. And I was really grateful for that because um, I didn't know how to do a film at all. But the film, it's really, it was inspired initially by uh, the concept of super modernity and the book by Marc Auger, um, Super Modernity, or a non-place introduction to super modernity where he talks about architecture and the way we design cities um, in a way that is kind of can be isolating to people and kind of harsh by nature and reading that I kind of was really relating the themes of super modernity to representing masculinity and these non-places that are kind of hyper-focused on efficiency, productivity and transience of people I understood them as masculine places and things that kind of sometimes could feel hostile. The clown character pastiche was meant to embody kind of a more sentimental, emotional being parsing through these hyper-masculine spaces and kind of setting up the contrast between the figure and the background um, and exploring, exploring how that is. Yeah, that's kind of the, the main the main inspiration of the video would be that kind of route there. As a viewer, I saw uh, a lot of fragility on the part of Pastiche. And what you're saying really rings a bell about the uh, environment that Pastiche moves through. I, I like the, for me, there was a sense of humor with it all as well. 
that I, I yeah. really liked. As I'm thinking about the spaces in your Instagram photos as well, the various characters, Biso, Luno, they're often in these spaces that feel kind of um, hostile, as you're saying as well. Um, is that an overall theme to clowns in cyberspace? Yeah, the actual, like the separate clowns in cyberspace Instagram account was another, it's not a forsaken project, but it's one I've put, I've put kind of on hold for a while. Mm -hmm. It was like a separate Instagram account altogether, but it was, it was kind of meant to showcase these themes and the clown characters um, specifically, like apart from everything else I do in my practice. And yeah, I'd say that the contrast between the environment and the figure is is really important in the way I, I envision these characters existing. The clown characters themselves, I always try to make them look like they could be like a porcelain doll, like really fragile. I love, I have a, also an obsession with collecting vintage um, ceramics and some of those are happen to be clown dolls. And I think I love them because their porcelain art is like, super fantastical and elegant but not at all practical because it's so fragile so to me becoming a character that is heightened fragility and embodiment of kitsch and sentimentality and then thrust into a world that's sort of unforgiving to those factors um, is really interesting to me and I find uh, an endless source of content creation through that um, inspiration I'm under the impression you're your pastiche. You're you're in the costume. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I'm. <laughs> I, I started sewing actually at at the beginning of at the end of 2019 actually, um, and taking it really seriously at the beginning of 2020, and that was when the pandemic had started. So when I went to school, I moved in on my own, um, and for the large portion of um, me teaching myself how to sew and creating these costumes, I was completely alone. So they were all tailor-made to fit only me because I was the only one around to try them on. So I, I'm in the all the costumes usually. There's only one other person who's ever been in them when I've ever had to film something that had two clowns in it. When you're doing the performances, the video or, or any of the still photos, what, what's that experience like when you put the costume on? I think that maybe it's just me or maybe everyone has this experience, but there's something about being able to dress up and become someone completely new, especially kind of a completely new being altogether, like a clown rather than a person. There's something for me that's really, really enticing and really empowering and exciting about that. And as soon as I'm in a costume, I feel like I completely change all my mannerisms and the way I move. Um, sometimes you almost kind of have to be because of the way the costume lets you move. But also I feel compelled to like move and act the way that the character looks. It's just a fun, a fun thing all around. What sort of reaction have you received from audience members or viewers of your work? It's been it's been a very mixed bag of reactions. When I first started sewing and making costumes, um, I kind of went in. I went all in into it and I didn't do a lot of watercolors for a while and um, initially when I started posting photos of the costumes and videos in the costumes well some people who had known me for a while I don't think that a lot of people were a fan of it at first I got a lot of like oh what about your illustrations they're so lovely like oh I hope that you haven't given up 
I'm painting. Um, and it's like, no, I'm just doing something else at that moment. <laughs> and th- it was, it was, I'm, uh, it was kind of defeating at first because, you know, for a while it felt like I was creating art in a vacuum because of the pandemic. I was kind of in the thick of my master's degree as well. So I didn't have a ton of free time to be like hanging out with people and discussing ideas. I was kind of by myself creating artwork. And it got to the point where I had, you know, received like not super thrilling feedback about it. I I loved doing it, but I guess a lot of people, I think clowns are like a, a common phobia people have. Yeah. And then one day I was on a meeting with my primary advisor and she asked me like, and I think at that point I had made like six, five or six costumes. She was like, well, what do you do with those costumes after you're finished with them? And I was like, oh, and I looked over at my closet and they, there they all were hanging up on hangers. And I was like, I guess I don't really do much with them afterwards, huh? Besides, you know, having a fun time dressing up. And then that day I kind of, I was like, huh, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll post on TikTok with the costumes and see, and see how I feel about that. And then I think that TikTok was really got what got the ball rolling for me in terms of people seeing my work and appreciating the costumes, which was fun. And I think it like that kind of opened the door to like a, a new audience for me. And since then, I've, I've had I've had quite a lot of positive feedback, which is really encouraging. In that period where before you found the audience that was that was engaging with it positively, mm-hmm. did you? Did you have to push yourself to keep going? Are you are you the kind of person who can kind of filter out that feedback easily? <laughs> kind of. I'm the type of person who, once I find something I like to do, I'm on lunatic mode doing it day and night. So as soon as I got a sewing machine and I started to get the hang of sewing and made the first costume, I was I blacked out and I was like, this is what I'm going to be doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week from here on out, um, despite what people might think of that. I'm, I always find I'm, I can be a very intrinsically motivated person. Oh, that's excellent. Is it the same when you're when you're doing the performances and you're dressed in the costume? Do you, do you have moments of self-doubt or are you just very focused on the performance? The only the only doubt that arises when I'm trying to perform is um, figuring out how to uh, ways to do things that's convenient that I can do on my own because it's not always practical to have people wanting to help you for free. The only bouts of doubt I have are are kind of problem solving how I'm going to execute things in my own way. Just because I'm not I'm not super experienced with even performance art but also filmmaking as well like I'm not super experienced at all so it can be quite difficult to execute something the way you want it to look in the end with the skill set you have at the moment. Some of the photos are they take place indoors, it appears. Others are in public spaces. Is it more complicated when you're doing this in a public space? Yes, very complicated. <laughs> um, the, when I was filming Tiptoe of Patrick Pierrot, I had one day where everyone who agreed to help me was free. And it was all looking terrific. And then actually on that day, it happened to be, it happened to align with the trucker convoy protest in toronto i don't know if you know about that yeah. if you're from the united states but um there was a lot of commotion in toronto that day and um 
of course, I had to be in a full clown costume in public where there was a lot of people who were quite angry and protesting. And we filmed most of it in Union Station where there was a lot of foot traffic and there was a lot of those people there. And, you know, there was a lot of heckling. There was a lot of people coming up and trying to interact with us and kind of get us to interact with them. And we were just, you know, there to film. So we were trying to do our best to ignore people or kind of dismiss them. So the, the few times I've filmed in public, it can be quite tricky because, you know, it's all, you're always going to draw attention if you're dressed in a full crown costume in public during the day even, too. Right. Um, Did the hecklers it, misunderstand your purpose? Did they think you were part of the political issues going on that um, day? Or was it just an energy of... It's hard to say. Okay. Um, the mo- one of the most interesting things, like they would come up to us and a- and joke and ask if if I was Justin Trudeau underneath the clown costume, because of course, the the um, people participating in the protest weren't a fan of Justin Trudeau, and we thought that they were like kind of just teasing and like they they say that and then walk on, but then they kind of lingered and kept repeating it to the point where it's like, oh, surely you don't believe what you're saying to be true and of course people don't people don't readily um, understand that you might be doing something for an art project especially on a day where everyone's um, mind is hyper focused on on political issues yeah it was it was a bit difficult to get people to leave us alone sometimes but it, it all worked out in the end you also have a, a Patreon account where you mm-hmm. um, encourage people to join so that they can follow your process. And that's a really interesting relationship you're building with your audience there. I'm wondering, how, how is that going? It's going well. Um, my thought process behind Patreon is that, you know, everything I do in, with my art is very much at this point a labor of love. There's almost no financial gain from it, which is fine. Um, I'm not doing it in order to be rich. But it can become tricky to fund certain things. So it's always nice to have a little boost from from people who are willing to support you. And I'm really grateful to everyone who has subscribed to my Patreon. You know, I think one of the more interesting things about anyone's art practice is seeing like the behind the scenes of things. So through Patreon, I I try to, um, when I can, document the making process of costumes and paintings and kind of upload that for people who want to see it to see it. It's not something that I, it's not like a do or die thing. Like if people don't want to subscribe to my Patreon, that's fine. I'm, I'm happy to have support in any way it, it may come to me, but yeah, Patreon's just kind of like a way to supplement some of the costs of it. Sure. And I'm I'm wondering as you're showing people the behind the scenes or or even through your other outlets as you're showing people your work, are you receiving feedback in terms of conversations about what you're doing? Is it is it more in the form of praise, approval, or disapproval, or what kinds of feedback do you, do you find you're you're getting? Most of it is is people you know saying you know I like this or I don't like this or I find this cool, I find this creepy. But there are people who reach out to me um, and do want to engage with things a little bit more elaborately and deeply, which I also appreciate. I always love when, you know, local local artists reach out and want to discuss things and other people who do performance. And yeah, it's, it's always nice to have that connectivity with people who share similar interests with you. Yeah, but mo- I would say most of it, most of it is people giving me kind of just like a one word feedback, which is also fine. But yeah. Is that sort of feedback playing 
a large role in what you're doing or, or is it really down to the intrinsic motivation that you talked about earlier? Down to the intrinsic motivation, I would say, I I wouldn't say that I'm particularly good at being online. There's there's many months where I've just not engaged with anything online at all because I've been caught up with making art or other things. And then when I have stuff to come back to social media with, I do. So it's very much like I would be doing everything anyways, but people being there to cheer you on is definitely very touching and very sweet. How are you balancing the practical side of an artist's life with creating your work. You mentioned earlier that it's it's not bringing in a lot of money, so I presume you have to work jobs. Yeah. How, is, how, is it, how does that balance go? How do you work that balance and keep time for yourself and time for your ideas? Um, It's tricky. I have a full-time job. I'm kind of a, a regular old citizen by day, and then I come home and I make art at night. Um, and it can be quite time consuming and exhausting sometimes, but um, there's a lot of about like the art making process that's quite cathartic and relaxing at times. So, you know, it's just my downtime, you know, is being able to make art when I come home from work before I go to work in the morning. It's tricky, but it's it's kind of just how it is. I think a lot of artists have to supplement their practice with a different job, which is totally fine. But yeah, a big a big part of a big part of getting things done is the problem solving of of how you're going to allocate your time, how you're going to spend your time when you also have other commitments to do. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, I I was just curious about how you saw that balance. Yeah, I'm wondering, do the people from your everyday citizen life know about your your art? The people I work with and my friends do. I don't post a lot about my personal life online. So I think everyone everyone who supports my art but doesn't know me doesn't really know, you know, what I look like or what my actual life is, which I am, you know, sometimes grateful for. Yeah, the people in my life know and it's it's um everyone's always willing to share their interests with me and kind of when you can find a common ground of, of where your interests meet you can kind of find avenues where you can both create things together or support each other in either kind of just moral support or in material ways. So it's always, I'm, I'm always really grateful for that and excited whenever I do make connections with people in my everyday life where we can discuss art or, or how um, our interests relate to each other. Uh, someone at work, I'm, I'm trying to problem solve some some things in terms of costume creation in the future, um, some some technical things that are a, a bit out of my skill range. And at work, I was connecting with someone about their experience making furry costumes. And I think that the knowledge was applicable. So it's always helpful to, you know, discuss things with people. And where do you see your work going from here? Um, I don't know. I'd say it's really, I've been really leaning into wanting to get into more video work you know, visual storytelling in that way and taking these clown characters and and the writing and the kind of lore I have in my head behind everything and compiling it into something that feels a little bit more substantial and a little bit more meaningful. Each clown character on their own and each painting I do doesn't really feel like it exists as like a, a single piece of art that's kind of just a one and done. I think that they all to me relate to each other and are a part of this 
a, a bigger thing. And I think that the way I feel compelled to showcase that at the moment is through video work and, and time-based media. So that's how I'm, I've been spending my time dipping my toes into how that stuff works. And I've been posting like little, really short videos, kind of experimenting with filming, sound design and all that stuff. Um, so it, and it's been fun. So that's where I, I see myself going is more more on the, the route of video performance. I'd like to thank you for taking some time to talk to me, Max. I've really enjoyed learning more about your work. Oh, no problem at all. I'm Thank you again for having me. It's been a blast. Do you feel like you're missing out? Well, I hate to tell you, but you are. Not all of our interviews are put up on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To get the complete picture of all of our interviews, please join us at therootseller.substack.com.